This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another incredible episode of Marketing Trends. If you can't tell, I'm already excited because we have another incredible marketing leader in the virtual studio today. Let me tell you about this epic human being, Melanie Halenga. She's the global head of brand and performance at a company called Groupon. Uh, She has worked, we're talking about someone who's 20 plus years of history working on the corporate side, on the agency side. So you already know we're gonna be able to get into lots of right and left brain things in this conversation. Now she's been successful in building some pretty epic brands, driving sales, product innovation, the list goes on and on. But before I say welcome to the show, let me tell you a few of the brands that this amazing human has worked on. You may have heard of a few of them. Anheuser-Busch. Michelob Ultra. She was actually behind Michelob Ultra's incredible, like they were the fastest growing beer brand. She was behind that and the team she worked with. So we got Anheuser-Busch, we got Aramark, massive company, Gibson's Restaurant Group, Sharpie, Papermate, Expo, Kraft Foods. There's many more. I hope you Google her. But Melanie, welcome to Marketing Trends. I am honored that you're here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And wow, what an introduction. <laughs> hey, hey, look, you've carved an amazing path. And when I saw your background, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Because again, you you have such deep experience and perspective. And you're working at a really interesting brand at Groupon that's evolved quite a bit over the last you know years. So I'm pumped to just get into it. But for our audience and for those who may not know, there's probably a few of them. Will you describe Groupon and then what you do there in your role? Absolutely. So Groupon is a trusted local marketplace that provides local services and experiences at a valuable price. And what we mean by local experiences is really beauty and wellness. So think about your massage parlors and spas around you, hair salons, nail salons, Botox, you name it, um, as well as things to do. So think about your axe throwing, your escape rooms, um, all of the things, trampoline parks that you might take your kids to, as well as food and drink. So that's how we describe our local experience offering. And then when you think about services, it's really around your oil changes or air duct cleaning or cleaning services. Um, So really trying to own that core local marketplace um, near where the customer is. Mm, Okay. 
So rewind the clock a little bit for me because you've been there. Is it just over two years now? Yeah, I'm just shy of three. So okay, January okay. will be my three-year mark. Okay, so coming up on three, I just want to go back to the beginning of like year one, like before you joined, what was the opportunity that you saw from the kind of outside looking in? You have a lot of ex brand experience, a lot of agency experience. You know, I would look at your resume and say, okay, this person can go a lot of places and work at a lot of brands. What, what did you observe about Groupon? What excited you about that opportunity three years ago? And then take us to what's happening kind of right now, high level. Absolutely. So it was funny. I got a phone call from a recruiter and they were talking about the opportunity to transition a brand. And I love to transition brands. It's what we did for Ultra. It's what we did for Airmark. Um, I've done it many times in my career and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to transition and transform a brand. And so when I heard the name Groupon, to be honest, initially I was a little hesitant. I'm like, mm, do they really want to transition? They're known for deals and discounts. Their inventory is not that great. Um, and But I said, you know, I, I want to go through the interview process and talk to the leaders and see, do they truly want to transform a brand? Um, and for everybody I talked to from an executive leadership standpoint, they were all on board with this mission. Um, so I took the job. I came in um, and literally hit the ground running around. We were going to transform the brand and launch within six months of my starting point. Um, unfortunately, COVID hit six weeks later, and that set us back to kind of the transition and, and our timeline. Um, but I think it was, you know, a blessing and a curse, right? The blessing being we had a lot of stuff to do to fix on the back end from a customer standpoint, just our improving our customer experience, improving how we serve up to supply to customers, understanding our core customer audience. So there was a lot of stuff that we needed to clean up in-house before we could go launch this new brand brand um, value proposition and really get consumers to come on board. So, you know, we it's been a three-year journey. Um, we've been continuing to optimize our supply, improving not only the quality supply, but also the density of supply. So when you think about where a customer is, for example, the willingness to travel for a coffee shop versus a massage parlor versus, you know, an escape room is very different. So it's, it's really defining what's the core local supply that we need near the customer in their willingness to travel. And so we've fixed our supply gaps and we're continuing to fix our supply gaps. Um, we've also improved our um, customer experience. So really thinking about fulfilling intent. So when a customer comes to the platform and they're looking for a bowling alley, for example, they're able to find a bowling alley near them, or you know they're able to find a massage place that they want to go get you know a Swedish massage, for example. So a lot of back-end tech upgrades as well as just supply upgrades so that we can go bring consumers to the platform to that better experience. Mm, okay. So, you know, jo joining, obviously, the, the, the pandemic was a, such an interesting time for, you know, everyone, no matter what brand or industry you worked in, but kind of working through that time in the role as a marketing leader, and, you know, given your deep experience working with a lot of D2C brands and CPG brands and a lot of different industries, were there any surprising things for you as a marketing leader going through the, the you know, the Groupon transformation, but in the middle of a world that seemed to be changing quite a bit? Did anything shift for you and like, oh, that's a surprise, maybe behavior or a strategy or approach, or did you still kind of pull from the tools you had already developed working at some amazing epic brands before? 
Yeah, there was a lot of learnings. I'll tell you that. So basically when COVID hit here, we're trying to launch an experience platform where people are in a world where they can't experience. And so we were a little handcuffed as far as like, okay, what is our business model to kind of survive COVID and then get to an experiences platform when we can get back out and experience again. And so we did a lot of, you know, data um, diving, which really understanding like what are customers buying and do we have that supply on our platform? And it was literally a day by day understanding, you know, Google search trends and what customers are doing and they're expanding, you know, their workplace at home because people are working from home. They're expanding their outdoor environments because they've been locked in their house for so long that they want, you know, kind of new environments to, to enjoy. And so we had a lot of that stuff on our platform. So we really kind of use data to dig us out on the day-to-day basis and see if we can monetize the business to maintain, you know, the business as much as we could, given that people weren't out experiencing again. So a lot of, I used a lot of tools from my past playbook, which is really data every, you know, you can't go wrong with leveraging data. I'm a big believer that any problem can be solved by using data with a good creative idea wrapped around it. Um, But also just some new angles of like, let's test out new ways to get in front of customers um, when, you know, the world has changed and customer behavior has changed. So the old marketing tools no longer worked as well as like the new marketing behaviors because consumer behaviors changed. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what what a time to get thrown in the middle of a, you know, such a such a huge shift, right? And I know that you already had a lot of experience. Now going through that, it's like, okay, now there's more, more perspective, more experience in that. That's epic. Um, you just had the second annual Groupon Day. I think it was the second annual Groupon Day. So congratulations on that kind of recent completion. From the Groupon websites, it looks like there were a ton of like amazing experiences up for grabs. What was the inspiration for Groupon Day? Yeah, it actually, um, one of my brand directors who started um, about two years ago um, came to me and was like, why don't we have a Groupon Day? Like Amazon has their Prime Day, you know, everybody has their Black Friday deals. Like we really need to have a Groupon Day. I'm like, great, let's do it. So we rolled up our sleeves last year and did our first Groupon Day, which we actually pushed off of the tension of the shipping deadline. So people, you know, we understood that consumers were a little bit panicked about not getting gifts on time. And the good thing about Groupon is you don't have to wait for shipping, right? You can get experiences and you can gift it and you know it's going to come because, you know, it comes in voucher form. And so last year we booked it at the end of the season to push off of the shipping deadline. But what we realized is consumer behaviors change, right? So when you look at consumer behavior, consumers are shopping for the holidays starting in October. So by the time we hit December, they're already done with their shopping. And so this year we pulled Groupon Day ahead of the calendar um, versus, you know, at the end of the calendar to really drive momentum into our key selling windows for the holidays. So we did an eight-day event this year versus the one-day event, um, which is really having a deal a day, which is giving consumers a reason to come back to the platform every day and see the great supply that we have on the platform leading up to Groupon Day, which was October 14th, and getting people to understand, like we said, our platform, what we have to offer, um, experiences that they could do with their family for the holidays, or
or start starting to purchase gifting, right? Um, experiences as gifting. And so we know consumers, based on our data, want to buy experience this year versus goods um, because they've missed out on that for so long, you know, with the pandemic and what have you. And so um, we really leaned into that purchasing behavior and, and getting out ahead of the schedule so that we could build on that momentum leading into Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and our other key selling windows. Was it considered a success? It was considered a success. We had some very aggressive goals, I'm going to be honest. We didn't 100% meet those goals, so I'll be very transparent about that. But we did. We saw a 5% increase in traffic in eight days. We saw a 3% increase in conversions. We had a very significant number of app downloads, SMS SMS subscriptions, email subscriptions. Um, So, you know, across the board, every single metric um, was in the positive. But like I said, we didn't meet our aggressive goals of our traffic goal was 8%, for example. Um, We only got to five, but did see some aggressive trends within the eight-day window. Wow, that's awesome. It it sounds consistent with some of the other, you know, retail brands that we've had on. We I remember a conversation with um, Jen Jen Kretschmar. She's this chief digital officer for Build-A-Bear. And she was talking about the same thing you said, just how behaviors have shifted and people are shopping earlier and they're coming in the store earlier and they notice that was e-commerce and also in-store, same thing. I mean, October hit and all of a sudden they're seeing this ons- you know, onslaught of traffic in-store and online and it's been consistent. So I think that's such a smart play with Groupon Day. That's Shout out to your, your team there. That's a fantastic idea. Um, I love it. Okay, so let's take it back a few years, right? Because you know, Groupon, what's interesting as an aside, just to mention this. So in 2011, I got a job at Google because Google had just made like a five or $6 billion offer to Groupon to acquire Groupon, right? Groupon said no. So Google decided to build out their own version, right? It was called Google Offers. And so I ended up getting a gig at Google. We built that up and it got pretty big, but we never, it, I think it ended up fizzling years after. But I, I've seen the Groupon brand just change and evolve and shift so much since, since, that, since the early days. And now we're here in 2022 and it looks like there's different shifts and there's a focus now on kind of these uh, these local, like local shifts. And I'm just curious about these shifts, right? Is, is the Groupon a brand that needs to continually evolve depending on the behavior? Or what are you seeing there? Yeah. So I think that the the business opportunity for us, if you think about it, is really, you know, we have core local experiences that consumers are buying either on or off the platform, right? There's no one-stop shop for everything local, right? You have, you know, your destination for tickets if you want to go concerts or if you want to do, you know, an Airbnb type of experience or, you know, Viator, for example, but everybody kind of plays within different verticals of local versus owning kind of everything near the customer. So we think that's a really big opportunity. I mean, it's a trillion dollar market, right? And Huge. so if we get this right, it's really about having the right experiences, putting it in front of customers at the right time where they're at. So meeting them where they're consuming media and, you know, um, and just, I, I think it's a big opportunity for us to monetize that, knowing that people haven't been out experiencing and they want to get back doing those things and even more so, right? Because they, they've been kind of trapped in their houses um, for the last two years. And so now they want to get back out and do all the things that they did once again. Um, and so really, um, I think the opportunity is huge for us if we get that equation right on both sides in the marketplace. 
That's huge. Yeah. I mean, I'm just imagining the kind of data and insights you you have. I mean, there's so much there given from the start till now and seeing how the world is and was and kind of in that where we're headed. Um, and it's just so interesting. And I'm curious about kind of the data, the data part. And a lot of brands are, of course, focused on that. A lot of brands are kind of reprioritizing some metrics and what they're focusing on is different now than what it was last year and the year before. Um, how does technology inform how Groupon can really hone in on specific experiences from market to market? Where's the risk technology play in that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, you know, when we look at our metrics, it's really about like we we have a top of mind awareness problem as a brand, right? So if you ask people about Groupon, you get two answers. One is like, what's Groupon? And the other is like, are they still around? Right. And so our awareness problem is really what we need to fix, which is making sure people are aware of Groupon and our value proposition, bringing them to the platform. So we're big into measuring visits and how many visits can we get into the platform? And then how are we monetizing those visits? So when it gets to monetizing the visits, it's really getting back to that piece that I talked about fulfilling customer intent. So when a customer comes to the platform, what are they looking to buy? And are we getting that supply in front of them? So we do that in many different ways, whether that's getting the right supply, you know, from a merchandising standpoint, when they come in versus how are we driving them from our performance channels to the right platform and the right landing experience so that they get the supply that they're intended to look, you know, that they're looking for. And so technology really helps us enabled that more personalized experience to fulfill that intent um, across the board. Wow. What data are you are you tracking to, to better understand buyer behaviors from like region to region? Uh, we use a lot of different data. So we have our own personal data, just purchasing data, what people are searching for on the platform. But we also look at Google search data and what's trending outside of the platform. Because like I said, they might be buying um, what, what our offering is, but just not necessarily on Groupon. So how can we st- like really understand the full landscape of what's happening in the marketplace so that we can bring those customers over? And so um, it's really about looking at data across the board, really understanding our customers and what they're purchasing. Um, And then we also get ahead of asking our customer what they intend to purchase. So we do a likelihood to purchase study every single month where basically, so for example, six months ago, we put out there like, what types of gifts do you think you're going to buy for the holidays? And that's where customers will tell us I'm looking to buy experiences more so than goods, um, just because, you know, we haven't been able to get out and experience. So it's leveraging that data and what consumer feedback, um, you know, what the consumers give us from a feedback perspective to really optimize um, our strategies and our campaigns um, and how we're merchandising product. So a lot of a lot of conversations, you know, we're hearing now, especially, you know, given the kind of economic headwinds, right? A lot of brands are having to do more with less, right? I mean, we're seeing budgets are being cut or flat, you know, and we're seeing kind of a lot of brands kind of batten down the hatches in a lot of ways and, and do different kind of scenario planning and where we're headed. And I see Groupon as an interesting intersection because you've got this kind of this perspective on the on these local regional markets and and seeing kind of where people are going and how they're how they're going there, et cetera. But what is kind of just the yeah, what is the the messaging, the feeling in Groupon around the economic headwinds, the things that are coming our way? Is this are are you also kind of you know, moving more gen- gingerly forward, or is this a huge opportunity? Because I could see it being kind of both for Groupon, given the way you are. But would love your th- your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been very focused on our performance marketing and really optimizing our channels. So, you know, understanding like where is our thresholds and where we can spend to get the maximum ROI. Um, We are now testing into upper funnel um, marketing, which is really around brand equity campaigns um, and doing that lightly. Right. And so we don't want to go out and do this huge campaign that doesn't monetize over time. Right. Because everybody's pinching pennies and making sure they're they're running an efficient business. But we need to continue to move forward and progress with our investments in marketing um, to make sure that customers know that we're here. Um, Like I said, we have an awareness problem. And so the only way you're going to fix that is getting back out there with brand equity campaigns. So it was really about hunkering down and focusing on monetizing performance channels, getting those to the right optimal spend, and now kind of pushing into the brand equity spend and seeing what that delivers from an ROI perspective so we can continue to grow that spend over time. Wow. So what do you think about in terms of like garnering, like, because to me, you almost have, have to garner these insights from the available data that you have, right? Without increasing a lot of spend on tools and staffing. So are you finding ways to kind of optimize that? Yeah, we do a lot of test and learn. So we never go big on a platform Mm. until we test and learn our way into it. So, you know, the good news is like uh, we have very good partners across all platforms. And so we really work with our partners to say, okay, help us build a case study for how we can we market on your platform to drive engagement of customers, bring them to, you know, deliver against our KPIs um, and show that your platform actually monetizes for us. And so we test and learn our way into a lot of scalable platforms um, just to make sure that we're spending our money in the right area. Um, and if it doesn't work, really understanding why it didn't work, right? Did it, was the creative, you know, not good enough and it wasn't engaging enough or was it, you know, um, the delivery or the time of day or what have you. So we really look across all of the different metrics and say, okay, if it didn't work, what are the learnings and optimizations that we can apply? And if it did work, how do we scale it appropriately? So we're not overspending, but really finding that right threshold. How do you balance, you know, your relationship with growth and velocity? You know, you've worked for incredible brands. I mean, you were part of the the fastest growing beer brand in America. Shout out to Michelob Ultra, as well as some other brands that we all know about. And so I'd imagine there's a level of like resources and support to be able to move with speed and be able to like continue yeah, with velocity. And what's the dance like that for you now with growth and getting to where you want to go fast? Because you've certainly been a part of brands where you have a ton of support. Um, What's that like now for you in 2022 as you wrap up the year? Yeah, we use the model a little bit of sales overnight, brand growth over time, right? And so trying to balance both. So how do we make sure that we're monetizing the business today based on, you know, um, just maximum effort against like, okay, you know, what's going to work, what's not working, understanding like optimizations that are needed within like the platforms. Um, But then also what are our long-term strategies over time? And so it's a delicate balance of both. Um, My team is super agile and flexible. They work very, very quickly. Um, but you know, it, it is a delicate balance of, cause if you're too focused on the everyday, you're never going to get to the long-term growth. And if you're too focused on the long-term growth, you're not going to have, you know, the business model that you need today. So it really is a delicate balance that we have across the team and focusing on both. Um, and I'm a big believer in long-term strategies and what is that vision and keeping, you know, your eye on that vision over time. Because like I said, brands not built overnight, it takes time to build, um, and And so you always have to have a lens on like, you know, where are you headed and how are you getting there in the short term? Hmm. 
And then the on the other side of that, you, because you have a lot of, you have agency experience and corporate marketing experience. So it, that kind of puts you in, you know, a couple of different chairs that gives you perspective that some marketing leaders just don't have, right? So when it comes to in-house versus agency partnerships, like you understand both of those. What's your approach now? Because you can have those conversations with agencies. You've been there. You have those on the corporate side of marketing. What's that blend for you now? Are you b very bullish on agency partners? Are you less bullish now because you kind of have that creative side anyway and you know what you can do in-house? What's what's your play there? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I always said there's clients that come agency side and you either treat the agency how they treated you or you know how your client treated you and you get back at them or you treat them um, and get the best out of them. Um, so I'm the latter of that equation. My okay. agency is my partner. We're in it together. Um, I think the difference and why I feel like you know the agencies can work smarter with us as a client, having me had both agency and, and um, client side experiences, is really letting them understand the business problem to be solved. So a lot of times at the agency, before I went client side, it was we'd get a brief and it was a creative idea for a creative idea, right? For creative sake. But it wasn't rooted in driving the business results. And so every brief that we have for our agency starts with, this is the business results that are the problem that we're trying to solve. And the creative idea has to solve for that. And so when they're pitching a creative idea, taking it back to why do we think this idea is actually going to deliver against our awareness problem or conversion or driving app downloads, whatever your KPI is, bringing that together. Um, one of the things that I loved when I worked on Ultra um, was we would have a monthly business review with the clients where I would bring in the creative partners and take them through the overall business performance. And so when they're thinking about creative ideas, the business problem was top of mind and they would bring more creative ideas to the table um, that actually drove performance versus just trying to deliver against a one-line creative brief. So I think the business and the creative coming together is where you get to a true campaign that delivers. Oh, that's fantastic. I want to talk about team and then trust and then just your role in the ELT, but let's start with with team. Certainly along the way, you know, you made a shift from a mar a con individual contributor as a marketer and you've shifted into a, a marketing leader. I want to know just where was that intersection for you? Where were you at the time when that you made the shift of like, okay, I'm now I'm I'm going to step into leadership, but you've been in that for a while. But I just want to know what's the story around that part for you? Where did that shift happen from individual contributor to marketing leader? So I think where I went from an individual contributor um, was probably when I was on the agency side of um, running my own accounts, right? So I was always a go-getter, a doer. I could execute the hell out of any plan. Um, and really, it was a delicate balance of being a leader and helping empower my teams to deliver. Um, it's the hardest transition, honestly, in anybody's career. Um, I do a lot of mentoring now, and, and a lot of people struggle with that transition because it doesn't happen overnight. You, as you kind of flex your leadership muscle and your str strategic muscle, you're still executing, right? And so it's really finding that right balance. And then um, I would say it was probably when I, I was a boomerang at FCB, but when I had went back to FCB and I ran my own accounts, that's really where I found my leadership role of being able to lead teams, set you know the vision and the goals for the team, um, expectations for you know what we needed from different accounts, um, and then empowering the teams to lead. I mean, nobody wants to be told what to do. And so it's really 
how are you going to solve these problems or how are you going to solve this creative, you know, idea um, versus dictating to them what actually needs to be done. Um, I'm a big believer in empowering people um, to lead because I wouldn't be able to take on all of the roles that I'm playing now if I didn't have strong number twos. Um, so currently I have 10 direct reports. They're all amazing. Um, they're all empowered to lead their channels. I said, you never want me leading your channels. You guys are the expert. I'm just here to help, you know, problem solve, break down barriers, help, you know, when you guys get in, in sticky situations. Um, and so it, it is a tough transition. And I would say for me, it was probably a good two to three years of really that band balance between moving from an execution role into a leadership role and really finding out what I wanted my personal brand and leadership role to be. Wow. Okay. The second thing I want to ask you about, because I, you know, my, my judgment is that you, one of the many skills you've been able to develop in your, in your career, which again has been epic, Melanie, um, is trust, is building trust and been able to like cultivate that, especially at a leadership level. You certainly have to be able to do it with your team. And there's this interesting world that we're in now where you, you also get to reach across the aisle and build trust with the CFO and the COO and the CEO. And you as the, you know, as the marketing leader, such an, as I mentioned earlier, it's like the most interesting role in the ELT because you kind of got to be able to speak to all of them, the CTO, the CIO, you got to, you know, you're having language and you're having dialogue with everyone What's your perspective in that, like being a modern day marketing leader and, and getting to build trust? And what are maybe some things you're learning doing that now in, in 2022? Yeah. So for me, trust is transparency. It's being real with your team um, and always being true to that. Right. And so, you know, one of the things I did that was unique to kind of me as a leader um, over the pandemic is leading people first. Um, so I always led from a business standpoint. And what I learned during the pandemic is people were locked in their houses. You know, mental illness was real. Depression was real. Loneliness was re real. Um, and so really getting to understand my people um, at, like on a personal level. Um, and then once I got to know them, um, it just became an easier business conversation. And they trust me because they know um, that I care about them I, and that I'm in it with them. We run a very title neutral organization. So I know all hundred people that work for me on a personal level. Um, they can reach out to me at any time um, from a business standpoint. Um, and I think developing, you know, that trust from a personal standpoint means a lot in today's world. Um, from an from a leadership perspective and dealing with like the C-suite, I think it's, you know, being true to your brand, right? So if I say something, I better deliver against that. And if I don't deliver against something, being honest, right? Facing that in the mirror and saying, hey, I know I said that we were going to go out and deliver this KPI. We fell short. And then I owe it to them to say why we felt short. Like, you know, what are we going to do, you know, to fix that? Um, because people fail all the time, right? And it, if you fail, it's okay. It's really about recognizing and that failure and optimizing to get to success. So for me, trust is, like I said, knowing people on a personal level so they know who you are and, you know, as a human being and what you bring um, from a leadership perspective, and then just being real and transparent um, on situations. So there's no need to hide stuff. And so I'm very open with my team across the board, probably more so than I should be, um, but they really appreciate it. And because of that, they're super loyal to me as a leader. Mm, great. Okay. So we can't move on until we address one major name, Rob Gronkowski. 
We heard through the grapevine, you know, that you actually have a pretty funny story about taking over Rob Gronkowski's house. I don't know anything about this and something about how he actually showed up. Please share this with our audience because we need to know how it went down. Yes, absolutely. So um, it's funny. I was actually for Grab Life by the Groupon. We're on set and I've done Super Bowl a million times just because of, you know, being in the beer world. That's the world. And I knew we didn't have $5 million budget um, at Groupon to go do a commercial, but I know it's the biggest stage to really um, seed a value proposition for a brand and kind of get your name out there. And so I was sitting with a CCO at FCB and I was like, how do we hack the Super Bowl? Like, we've got to hack the Super Bowl. Like, this is our time to get out there um, and tell the world, you know, about our local experiences marketplace. And so they came back with this idea called Party Like a Player. And the idea was all around that we were going to party and throw experiences at a, hopefully somebody that went to the Super Bowl um, at their house while they're in the Super Bowl. And I was like, brilliant, hilarious, love it. We'll never be able to pull that off. Like, there's no way. Like, how are you going to pull that up? You don't know who's going, what have you. So then they were like, well, we actually talked to Rob Gronkowski's agent and he's interested. And we're like, no way. So we basically went down two different paths. If Rob went to the Super Bowl and if Rob didn't go to the Super Bowl. So if Rob did go to the Super Bowl, it was literally throwing a, a party at his house because him and his brothers and his father are known for partying. This was super authentic to him as a brand and us as an experienced brand of how could we throw this ultimate experience at Rob's house Why he's not there. Um, and then he didn't make it to the Super Bowl, unfortunately. Um, all of his brothers were coming to the party, which we knew. Um, his dad ended up coming last minute. And then while we're at the party, I heard that Rob was going to get on a flight and head over. So he actually took Mark Wahlberg's jet and flew to the party, shows up like not supposed to be there. We didn't pay for him to be there. He did this on his own goodwill. And he shows up at the party and the winner like freaked out. She was like, oh my, she was like a huge Rob Gronkowski fan. He took pictures with her and selfies and signed stuff for her. It was an amazing experience. Um, and him and his brother stayed. I mean, he made a, an appearance at the party versus his brothers and his dad stayed and partied with us the whole time. Um, I will say they've thrown many parties there. We broke a stair, um, which is the first. So uh, we, we did break a stair at the party. Um, but yeah, it was a really fun time. And I mean, they all enjoyed it. The The customer enjoyed it. It was, it was more than we had hoped for, but a really, really good time and great content to really show the world, um, you know, what Groupon has to offer. Wow. That's such a, that's an amazing story. And I'm, I'm curious, does that set you up for for this year's Super Bowl? Like, are you thinking, how do we go at this in a similar way? Or are we going to see a splash of the Super Bowl this year from Groupon? Or are you thinking that or, or what's happening there? Yeah, I, I don't think to our point about being fiscally responsible, right? Um, I don't think we're going to go out and do Super Bowl again this year. I think we're going to try a little bit of a different strategy this year, just knowing that, you know, it, it's quite a bit of money. Um, it's a lot of resourcing to pull it off. Um, and so as we're kind of focusing on our marketing spend and where to spend it and how to grow the brand, we want to optimize those learnings and try um, a different trick, if you would. So um, we're going to take a different approach for Q1, but that doesn't mean that will be our last Super Bowl, you might see us again, but just not for this year okay. or next year, I should say. <laughs> okay. Okay. Before we wrap, I need to know what does a successful 2023 look like for this really cool, ever evolving brand like Groupon? 
Yeah. I mean, for us, it's getting back to the brand equity spend and getting our awareness numbers up. I really want to make sure that when you do ask a customer who Groupon is, they know. <laughs> They're like, oh, I saw an ad or yeah, I use Groupon. Um, and so really our goal is to do brand equity campaigns that drive awareness, um, that deliver our value proposition for the customer, and then ultimately paying off that experience through you know our CX, as well as having the right supply for them. Um, and so it's really getting that marketplace to work um, and bringing it all together. And so that would be growth for us next year. Okay. Are you ready for some fun lightning round questions? I am. Okay. Before I read the first question, I should mention that this podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. So if you're interested, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Now back to the lightning round. First question for Melanie um, what is your least favorite marketing or business buzzword? Flywheel. We overly <laughs> use it. Like, let's get the flywheel moving. You know, I would say flywheel for sure. Oh gosh. We have been doing that a lot in our organization. That's hilarious that you literally today in Slack, I saw someone say flywheel. That's great. That's such a great one. Okay. Um, if you could have any upgrade, any upgrade to your work from home setup, what would it be? Um, it would be an actual office. So I work out of my kitchen table. So for me, like, I think it would actually be moving into an office would be my upgrade. Okay. What was the first thing you thought about this morning? Oh, wow. Probably did I pack my kids lunch? Cause I always forget. <laughs> okay. Um, if you could use marketing to send a message and plaster billboards across the world, what would that message say? Wow. I think for me, it would be be kind. We're living in a very difficult world right now. And I think we need to be kind to ourselves and to those around us. And I think just given everything we've seen, you know, in the media um, and politics and everything else, um, I probably my one message would be kindness mm. and spreading kindness. It's good. It's a good one. What is one popular thing or activity that you wish you enjoyed more? Probably running. People are like, running is so relaxing and fun. I think it's boring. It hurts. Like, I just, I'm out there and I'm like, I'm bored. My muscles hurt. I can't do it. I'm breathing heavy. So for me, it would be running. Okay. Well, what do you do to lose track of time? Um, I go for walks. I'm a big okay. walker. So okay. I like to, and I use it as a social opportunity as well. So getting together with my girlfriends or my husband or my kids, and we just go for long walks. Um, you know, it just kind of clears my head and, um, you know, it's a good opportunity to play catch up. Okay. What would be the title of your unauthorized biography? Oh, wow. Um, I think people would say the exhausting life of Melanie Helenga because I'm <laughs> always on. So between my work life and my personal life and my social life, um, I'm super busy. And I think people would say I have an exhausting life, um, which I greatly appreciate. <laughs> okay. If you could go back and whisper in the ear of younger Melanie, what would you say? Always advocate for yourself. I learned that later in my career. And I think it's just always stand up for yourself and, and what you feel is right. That's fantastic. Okay. Last question is, what's calling you? From a marketing standpoint? It could be anything. It could be personal, professional. What's calling you? Um, I think what's calling me is my next big challenge, you know? So, and whether that's like starting my own business or investment properties on the side, like I just, I ha I'm having the itch for a little bit more of a fix it project in addition to Groupon. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say my calling is like, what's my next big fix it? I love it. You definitely, after this, this conversation, I'm like, she's the one 
that's running into the fire. Like, yes. oh, there's a fire? I'm going in there because that's where I'm going to solve all the problems. So I see that uh, in you. Melanie, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, really enjoyed our time. And congratulations to you for running into these continued challenges and saving the day. Big shout out to your team. I mean, the things you guys are creating there is amazing and I'm paying attention. I'm also shopping on Groupon too. So I'll be there, I'll continue to do that. But thank you so much for being here on Marketing Trends. You were such an epic guest. Thank you, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate it. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.